Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesueur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. This is what happens when I touch buttons. All right. So there you go. We had all sorts of answers, everything from, uh, from cake to wings and, uh, and all sorts of things in between. Somebody wanted to just bring the pizza dough and let someone else do all of the cooking of the pizza. That sounds like a party. Uh, seems like a great idea. I mean, if you want to influence the menu of the party, you bring what ingredient? Good idea. Um, In our text today, Jesus can be found at a big party. So let me catch you up a little bit. We are, uh, we're kind of launching our series on God's mission. So if you only hear one thing, if you only hear one thing about God's mission, please hear this. God loves you. The whole reason why he sent his son to be our savior, the whole reason why the church is gathered together is because God loves us. His heart for us is what drives his mission. You are loved. As we, as we kind of take a look at Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew 9, but allow me to kind of catch us up. This is early in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus you know, following, well, including the, the Sermon on the Mount, says and does some of the most scandalous things that turns the entire community of Israel upside down. It sets the leaders, you know, into an outrage, and it sends the rest of the people just kind of wondering, like, who is this guy? That's Jesus. He says and does scandalous things. If you, if you look at what he does after the Sermon on the Mount, this will give you a little kind of recap. First thing is he finds a leper, a man with an infectious skin disease. And Jesus, instead of ostracizing him, instead of throwing him out of town, Jesus touches the man with leprosy heals him, and sends him to the priest to prove that he has been fully healed. He, he's walking through town, and a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier who's in command of at least a hundred other soldiers, walks up to Jesus, runs up to Jesus, and begs him to, to heal his servant. He's the enemy. The Roman army is occupying Israel. But Jesus, instead of saying no, instead of berating him, listens. And this Roman soldier says, 
that he's not worthy to even have Jesus come to his house. But he believes that if Jesus just says the word, his servant will be healed. And he does. And Jesus says one of the most scandalous things. He looks at this Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, an enemy of his people, and he says, he's got more faith than anyone he's ever met in Israel. More faith than anyone. That's amazing. Does he know who this guy is? Yep, he knows who he is. He also knows his heart. So from touching a leper to healing a Roman centurion's servant and, and talking about his great faith, he heals and casts out demons everywhere he goes. Then as he's teaching in a house, just jam-packed with people, so full that you couldn't even get in or get out. His four friends bring this paralyzed guy and they go upstairs, they rip the roof off and they lower him down on ropes. And as he's lowered down in front of Jesus, Jesus says the most amazing thing in the middle of everything, in front of everybody, he says, your sins are forgiven. And there's just grumbling. The religious leaders are like, he can't say that. That's blasphemy. He, who has the power, who has the authority to forgive sins on earth? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said, you know what? Tell you what. Just so that you know that the Son of Man, that's kind of his nickname for himself, that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, what do you think is harder, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So, just so you know, both are true. He does. He says it. Get up, grab your bed, and walk on out. Get up, grab your bed, and he does. The paralyzed guy who was lowered down on ropes by his friends, he just gets right up, he grabs his bed, and he walks on home. Go home. Now, I'm kind of surprised that this verse isn't actually used more often for parents to take it out of context uh, to get their kids to make their beds every morning. Well, Jesus said, get up, make your bed, and let's go. That's what Jesus said. Again, Totally out of context. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying scandalous things. He's saying that a Roman centurion has more faith than anybody here. He's saying that, that this paralyzed guy's sins are completely forgiven. Who can talk like this? Who can say this stuff? Jesus can. So now, you're caught up. You have your Bibles. You can turn with me on your iPad or your phone, or uh, some people still have actual paper Bibles. Uh, you can turn with me to Matthew 9, 9. If not, it's right up here, okay? We want to make sure everybody has access to God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, please let me know. I'll give you one on the way out, okay? Matthew 9, verse 9, Start reading in Jesus' name because it's God's Word, not mine. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. 
And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, that's Jesus, when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here ends the reading of God's word. Jesus calls Matthew with just two words. Follow me. Follow me. And the the word of Jesus is powerful and effective. And so when Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, Matthew does. He gets up, he leaves everything, and he follows Jesus. He just does it. Now, it may not come across as as scandalous as it really is because to understand how scandalous this is is to understand what a tax collector is. You see, everybody hates tax collectors. The reason is that Tax collectors worked with their enemy government that was occupying Israel at the time. So here's here's basically the overview. Rome comes into Israel, conquers the entire area, and sets up a government to, to oversee it. Oh, and by the way, just for the privilege of not being killed by the Roman government, we all they all got to pay a whole lot of taxes. So they had to pay their, their normal, you know, Israel taxes. On top of that, they got to pay taxes to Rome, and Rome is all about making money. So this is what Rome decides to do, and they do it all over the Roman Empire. It's documented that what happens is when they conquer an area, they then go to locals, and they say, how would you like to make a little money? All right, so what they would do is they would take an entire region and they would sell the tax bill for that entire region to that individual. And then that individual would pay the taxes for the entire region and then their job would be to go out and collect those taxes. And what every tax collector did is they skimmed some off the top for themselves. Tax collectors were abundantly wealthy and they were making their wealth off of all of their neighbors. So it's kind of like this. If you have, if you have a thousand dollar tax bill that you owe to the Roman government, your brother says, no problem, I'll collect the taxes for my house. And then he, he tells you, yeah, 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 you think it's a thousand dollars. Really, your tax bill is about fifteen hundred dollars a month. He pays $1,000 to Rome, and he pockets 500 bucks for himself. And then he does that with you and your brother and your other brother and your mom and your dad and your neighbor and your cat and all those chickens. I know, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, and your kittens. Everyone gets taxed. 
That's what the Roman government did. And so basically it'd be like, you know, like if, if, if the Roman government overtook the United States, they would take off and they'd say, okay, all of the federal taxes for the state of Minnesota. And I'll say, I will buy that and I will take that bill. I'll pay that bill. And then I'm going to charge everybody else whatever I feel like charging. So all of Matthew's neighbors hated him. Why? He's getting rich and he's stealing money from us. Oh, and by the way, he's in bed with the enemy government. Who likes that guy? Nobody. He's business partners with the enemy and he's taking all our money. And Jesus calls him? Jesus calls him to be his follower? Jesus calls him to follow him? Like full time? Then Jesus then gives him authority? That's crazy. Who does that? Jesus. But look at the other guys that Jesus calls to follow him. If you go just down into Matthew 10, you get to see this crazy list. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of affliction. This isn't just like a call to come and hang out. This is a call in which Jesus himself gives the power of God, the authority of Christ into their hands so that they can cast out demons and heal everybody. This is a big deal. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, he's a loudmouth. Andrew, his brother, seemed like a pretty okay guy. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. James and John, their nickname is the Sons of Thunder. Yes. Who wants the nickname the Sons of Thunder? That's awesome. They were also really difficult to be around. Why? Because they thought that they were better than everybody else. You know that person. You know that person who thinks they're better than everybody else and also isn't afraid to tell you? Yeah, James and John, that's them. And Jesus calls them, these two sons of thunder who think they're better than everybody else, he's calling them to follow him? Yes, but wait, there's more. Philip and Bartholomew, don't know too much about Bartholomew, but I'll tell you a little bit about Philip. You see, when Jesus called Philip, uh, you know, he was under a, uh, under a fig tree doing something. I don't know what it is, but Jesus is like, hey, saw you this morning under that fig tree. I saw what you were doing. If Jesus doesn't say it, I'm not sure what that is. But Jesus knows. And he called him anyways. Jesus knows what he was doing. And he called him anyways. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Well, Thomas, Thomas is that guy that believing doesn't come easy. Believing doesn't come easy. He asked a lot of questions. And faith came slow. Well, I thought Jesus would call somebody who like believes like hardcore right away, like Peter. Well, he also called Thomas. He called Matthew the tax collector and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. We don't know a whole lot about Thaddeus. 
And Simon the Zealot, wait a minute, Simon the Zealot, remember I'm telling you about like Jesus or Matthew the tax collector, right? And he's, you know, like business partners with the Roman government that is oppressing and occupying Israel on the opposite end of the political spectrum. Further, even further, is Simon the Zealot. You see, zealots were the sworn enemy of the Roman government. And they put on attacks and skirmishes all over Israel, constantly, constantly attacking the Roman government. Didn't care how many died, and they, a lot of them did. But they really believed in the freedom of Israel, and they fought against Rome every step of the way. And so you're telling me, yes, the Bible is telling us that Jesus called... Matthew, the tax collector, who's a business partner with the occupying enemy government, and the opposite end politically, Simon the Zealot, who fights for Israel's independence. And Jesus calls both into his same leadership team. He even calls Judas Iscariot, who he knew would betray him. So go ahead and think about this leadership team. And you could start to wonder, Jesus, what are you doing? This seems crazy. Why would, you, why would you call people to follow you and give them your authority for people who are completely opposite in their thinking? Because he's Jesus. And Jesus has a tendency to call unqualified unlikely people to follow him because he loves them. And Jesus sees in a way that we don't see. We look on the outside and we see polar opposites brought together to the same leadership team. And I think to myself, those board meetings are going to take forever. But Jesus, he sees his church. I'm glad that our church is like this too. That no matter who you are, no matter what your political belief is, no matter where you're at, no matter even if faith comes slow or if you're struggling with secret sin, everyone is welcome here. Everybody is welcome together because we want everybody to hear how much God loves them. So what's the first thing that Matthew does what is the first thing that Matthew, Matthew does after he quits his job? <laughs> he throws a huge party. Yeah, the first thing he does after he quits his job as a tax collector and starts following Jesus full time is he throws a party. You see, this event is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and it says, And Levi, that's, uh, that's Matthew's nickname, is Levi. Uh, so Matthew would have been his Roman name, and then Levi would have been his Hebrew name. So when he was hanging out with other, other, uh, other Jews, he'd probably go by Levi. That's kind of like his family-given name. And when he was hanging out with his tax collector friends and sinners and stuff like that, he'd be going by Matthew or Matt. And Levi, Matthew, made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others, Matthew admits it, Luke says it really nice, others. Matthew just kind of comes clean. He's like, they're all a bunch of sinners. Yeah, they're all a bunch of sinners. 
reclining at the table with him. And, and, and Matthew also says, but it wasn't just them. It's the tax collectors. It's the sinners. It's the Jesus right there. In the middle of all those sinners, Jesus just reclining at the table. And his disciples are there too. This party must have been huge. It must have been like one of those just massive parties because it was so big that even the religious leaders in the area got wind of it and they stopped by to see what's going on. They're kind of like, the Pharisees are kind of like the neighbors who stop by when your party's too loud or when you have too many cars parked out on the street or something like that. You know, like maybe somebody parked on somebody's lawn and somebody comes on, one neighbor comes on over and says, what's going on here? Well, that's what the Pharisees do. They stop on in, they say, what's going on here? And they, they look and they see tax collectors and sinners and disciples and right in the middle, Jesus, just kicking it back at the table. And they talk to his disciples instead of talking to Jesus. And they say, why does your teacher eat with sinners? Jesus overhears them. Jesus overhears the Pharisees. He overhears their objection to his behavior. His scandalous behavior. And he answers them and he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. The concept of, um, of well checkness, you know, well checkups and stuff like that, completely foreign for most of the history of the world. You see, over the history of the world, the only people who go to doctors are sick people. Now, we got like, you know, wellness checkups and everything else. It's like when healthy people go to the doctor and say, how can I be even healthier than healthy? I don't know what healthier than healthy is, but hey, there you go. Wellness checkups, healthier than healthy. Or they're going in just to make sure that they are as healthy as they think they are. I'm super healthy. I should have a doc doctor confirm that. Yes. Okay. I am neither of those things. <laughs> I go to a doctor because I'm sick. I don't like going to doctors when I'm healthy. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he quotes from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he says this. For I desire steadfast love. It's also translated as mercy. Okay, so that's what uh, Jesus translates it as when he uh, quotes this verse. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That word right there, steadfast love, or also translated as mercy, is my favorite Hebrew word in the entire Bible. Has said. So if you want to, you know, teach teach somebody a little Hebrew today, you can say, has said is God's steadfast love filled with mercy. God's steadfast love filled with mercy. Jesus quotes this verse, for I desire. You want to know what God really thinks of you, what God really wants. Have you ever been struggling with wanting to know what does God want? What's God's will for my life? God wants to give you his steadfast love and mercy. God wants you to know that he 
loves you with steadfast love, filled with mercy. He's not looking for sacrifices. You see, because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice who died to take away all of our sins, who came because of God's steadfast love for us. What does God want? He wants a relationship with you. He wants knowledge of God. He wants us to know Him. Not know about Him, to know Him in relationship. He's not looking for burnt offerings. And Jesus tells these Pharisees, hey, go learn from Hosea. The prophet Hosea had a really rough life. God told the prophet Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And he spent his entire married life with her, chasing after her, having to buy his own wife back time after time after time so that God could show us his amazing love for us. You want to know what God thinks of you? Steadfast love and mercy. And, he, and Jesus quotes that verse for the Pharisees because he wants them to know the heart of God's mission is mercy. Not giving people the punishment they deserve, but rather giving them no punishment even though they deserve it. Mercy, steadfast love, love that doesn't change based on our behavior. That's God's heart for his people, for all people. And then he says, at the very end, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that is good news for us because that means that God came to hang out with people just like you and me. The invitation to sit at a table, not just Matthew's table crowded around, but a table that he is preparing for us ahead of time in heaven. He's making a seat at that table for each and every one who believes in him based on his mercy and steadfast love because he, Jesus Christ, came to hang out with people just like you and me. And so when he says that he came to hang out with Sinners, that's good news for us. And you look at that, that ragtag group of guys that he called to be his apostles, and maybe we can see a little bit of ourselves in there too. That Jesus loves loud guys who think they're the best, and Jesus loves big mouths who just always are opening their mouth to say what they think. Jesus loves everybody on any spectrum of the political spectrum. Jesus loves people who are struggling with hidden sin, and he calls them too. Jesus loves people who are slow to believe. I have so many questions about God, and he loves them too. 
He came to call sinners, not people who think they're already good enough. He came to call sinners and invite them to a place at his table, people just like you and me, to give us mercy. And I think deep down that one of the reasons why he, he quoted from, Isaiah, from Hosea to those Pharisees because he, he wanted them to see that for those who believe in Jesus, who, who have accepted his call and follow him, they have received mercy. And for those who have received mercy and steadfast love, they in turn end up being people who show others mercy and give steadfast love freely. Look at these verses in, in Romans, this verse in Romans. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So no, no matter where you're at with God today, no matter what you think about yourself, whether you think that you're the best or whether you think that you're in trouble, whether you're quick to believe or slow to believe, whether you're struggling with sin or you are already aware that you have betrayed your Lord and Savior just like Judas, Jesus loves you and desires to give you mercy by his grace through faith in his Son because Jesus has already died to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he gives that freely to you with an invitation to sit at his table it's going to be a huge party, way bigger than Matthew's table. Jesus' table will be a way bigger party than Matthew's table. Let's pray. God, thank you for inviting us. Jesus, thank you for coming not just to hang out with good people, but to share your love and mercy with people who, who don't yet know you. With different people all over the spectrum. Thank you for loving us, Lord God. Even when we're slow to believe, even when we're struggling with private sin, you love us. We thank you and praise you because you are awesome. And we can't wait to sit with you at your table and celebrate with you. Between now and then, Lord God, we just humbly ask you, please, please give us opportunities to share your love and mercy with those who, who need it. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You stand with me. And receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look right at you and give you his steadfast love and mercy. Amen? Go in peace.